I'm sorry. And that's it. So the, <laughs> the reason why I show you that, that scene was because it's quite silent, and you had no idea what he was doing, no, no idea what he was thinking. That scene was from Always Be My Maybe, right there. Always uh, Be My Maybe, and you could watch that on Netflix. Who said that Keanu Reeves can't act? Right? <laughs> anyway, so uh, why do I say silent? It's because I'm wondering, have any of you been given the silent treatment? I know I have, because you guys did it to me. Just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, here's what I mean. So, uh, let's say I, I send a text to Aaron, and he's the biggest culprit. Uh, like, so uh, I go like this, I send a text to him, it's WhatsApp, right? And then, uh, um, and then I see, uh, I send it to Aaron, and I see the two check marks, which means it's shown on his phone. <laughs> then uh, I see it turn blue, which means it's red. And then I expect, just kidding, I'm just bugging you, okay? Like, yeah. And then uh, and I go, okay, he's read it. Did I post it as a question? Yes, I did. I put a question mark, so it's a question. It's supposed to prompt an answer, <laughs> all right? And then uh, I go, okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. It shows typing for some reason, then no answer. <laughs> None, right? Then I wait for another day <laughs> and another day. And you know, you start talking to yourself. You start having these conversations. And then I'm hard saying, did I offend him? <laughs> like, did I say it in a bad way? What was my tone? Was my tone okay? Did I just lose my treasure for like the whole, like, like did he just leave the church? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, did, did he just like, did he and Kat just uprooted and just laughed? Right, did I offend him in any way possible? So, I sent him another text. Blue check marks again. <laughs> and I get no answer. And then, uh, have, have this happened to you? Uh, like, it's funny because I asked my friend this and then uh, uh, he didn't stop just there. He actually goes, oh yeah, I, did. I had that happen to me too. And then uh, what I do is uh, maybe his WhatsApp not working and maybe I'll do an iMessage. Again, iMessage does this darn thing and like, it shows the icon that they read it and you go, and then, no answer. Facebook message the same thing. There's, their little icon moves down and they read it and then nothing. It really bugs me. Does it bug you? That, you know, like you think that Especially if something happened prior to them and you want to make amends, right? Like that you kind of said, oh, did I actually hurt the person's feelings? Did I really, you know, ruin our relationship? So you kind of want to make amends, so you should quickly send the text going, you know, with at least uh, little icons, how it loves, love things, like, you know, thumbs up, happy face, you know, type of things. I'm just joking back then, you know, can you forgive me? But no answer. No answer. Has, a, has that person just completely went off grid and that even like and just said our friendship's over is that what it means so you start talking to yourself it really bugs how about god how about with god because uh, i sometimes i have like sometimes uh, for me when uh, uh, i sin or i do something bad or i know that it's not going to please god i pray and then uh, and then there are times when i make a prayer request to god and he's silent absolutely silent. Doesn't answer, doesn't respond, you feel a little dry, not, you don't feel that yeah, the presence of God's with you. Did I sin the big one? So then you pray again. Actually, better yet, uh, I know some friends, some of my friends, they actually become a little bit more pious. They read more Bible, right? They read more Bible. They pray more. Maybe if I pray more, then God will answer. Maybe if I serve more, God will answer. But no, nothing. Silence. 
So did you really sin the big one? You know, the big one? The big one that God will say, nah, sorry, buddy, not going to talk to you anymore. You are totally finny. You know, that's it. Right off. Gone. Really? Is that true? Has God ever did the silent treatment on us? On any of us? Those questions seem to run on our minds, right? And then we talk to ourselves again as well. Did I really, like, is, what is God, what is God up to? Like, has he like, totally rejected me? And, you know, have I really sinned that bad? See, the reason why I'm saying this is because it, it's ha- it was happening with Israel between the Old Testament and the New. See, between the Old Testament and the New, there was this time of 400 years. 400 Actually, a little bit over. It's just approximate, but it's 400 in general. And they called it, a lot of rabbis, and even till this day, a lot of the rabbis say it's the 400 years of silence. It's because prior to that, right at Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, what did we hear about? We hear about the kings are just completely failure. They were complete failures. Right after Solomon, it went downhill from there. Right? Like uh, every single king failed. Right? Failed in some way. And right at the end, the, 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 the last king was a complete failure. He just was dragged out and just executed, got his eyeballs gouged out, and that was it. Game over. That, were, that was it for Israel, it appeared. So Israel, for the past 400 years, between the Old Testament and the New, they asked themselves, has God really rejected us? Is, this, is that it? Did we sin the big one? Did, our, did we just completely goofed up? Because historically in the Old Testament, God kept on coming back, right? Especially in Judges, if you realize that. Every few years, they repent, then God comes back, they, and then they sin, God leaves, they ask for forgiveness, God comes back, and the cycle comes back again, right? right? So then Israel was wondering, Will God come back this time? Did we really sin the big one? So the past 400, those 400 years between the Old Testament and the New, that was their question. Their question was, will God ever return to his people? Because it seems like he was silent. Now, what did they mean by silent? It's because in the Old Testament, how did God really speak to the Israelites, to God's people? It was either through prophets or vocally, right? Vocally, like Mount Sinai, vocally, Vocally and through the prophets, you know, through all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Malachi, Micah, those prophets, right? But now, these 400 years, God's completely silent. No prophets. None. Nothing. It's like sending a text message to God, and then God doesn't answer. There's no response. And so during those 400 years, what happened? Well, the Israelites were conquered many times. And some of the nations that had conquered them were the Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and now the Romans. And these Romans were rough. They uh, exploited them, took them to slavery, made them into a circus uh, act sometimes. To the elderly, they treated them with hostility and didn't care about them. To the poor Israelites, they didn't care about them either. To the, sl- to the girls and boys, they made slaves out of them and had used them as sex toys. They, uh, to the, uh, the handicapped, to the lame, they made them as circus acts. You know, as, as just entertainment for the wealthy. That's what the Romans were doing to the Israelites. Because that's exactly what they did to the other nations that they conquered. Right? The elite stays elite, the, the slaves stay slaves. 
That's what they were going into. This is the world that they find themselves. And they kept on asking God, where are you? God, if this is your chosen people, are you going to fulfill this promise? Or have we broken this promise so bad that you're not coming back at all? Have we just, just did a sin? Have we sinned the biggest sin that you're no longer coming back? And so if you ever read history, the Israelites, God's people, did something else. They go, okay, let's read back the Old Testament. What did we do? What did our ancestors do in order to have God come back? Oh, commandments. Let's stick with the commandments now. Let's stick to them. Let's do them and do them hard, right? Do them well. And also create more commandments so that we would protect them, so that we will not goof up again. What else? Festivals, sacrifices. Okay, let's make sure those things are to the T. We're going to make sure that we're going to do those things until we're, until we're blue in the face. We're going to make them perfect. Then what came out of that? Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes. Various groups of people, Israelites, are now forming their own cliques, saying, no, we have it. We have the way. We're going to be the ones that God will return to us. Because we have the commandments, we have the right way to do things. We have the right worship service, we have the right songs to sing, we, have the, we pray the right prayers. You guys, you guys follow? These guys now have become so entrenched in desiring God's presence again that they are starting to formulate their own methods in trying to make sure that they please God so that God could come back to them. You follow so far? This is the world we live in. This is what, no, not the world we live in. This is the world that we're looking at right now. The Israelites are, first of all, are being tormented and tortured and exploited by the Romans. But not only that, you have various groups within the Israelites saying that we got this. We're going to make sure that we get this right so that God will be with us. Follow? That's the world. And now, the question continues on, though. Will God speak? Because still... Even with all this, to them, God remains silent. God's still silent. And now we approach the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. So now you know the world. The world that Jesus is now entering in. Now we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. The first thing that Luke mentions to start the story of Jesus is the name of the current king of Judea. Who was it? Herod. Now, some of you already know about this because I preached on it before. But if you, know, like, if you don't know, Herod is actually a fake king. He's not really a real king. He was appointed by, the, by a Roman government. Uh, actually, in order for him to become king, he wasn't really supposed to be on the royal line anyway. But Caesar Augustus kind of manipulated and revised the father's will so that he would get and become king. It's kind of like political maneuvering, so to speak. Because Herod was more of a loyal, a loyalist, a very loyal to Augustus. So Augustus chose Herod. And why not choose somebody that's loyal to you to do your bidding, right? And so Herod was merely just a puppet. He was an administrator to do the Rome's bidding. 
So throughout Israel, we know that Herod's not the real king because a true king in Israel's eyes, in God's people's eyes, is appointed by who? God. God appoints the king, right? God chooses the king. He sends a prophet, tells the prophet to anoint the, anoint the person that he chooses with oil, and the spirit of God comes upon him, right? Because the true king is supposed to represent God, not represent a Roman government, not to represent some man-made government authority. No, the true king is supposed to represent God. He's supposed to live by God's example and show the, uh, the people how to live, how to serve, how to be loyal and, and obedient to God. But Herod, this guy's fake. And so all through the history of, uh, of the first century, the Jews are wondering, when, is, when are we going to get a true king? Or are we ever going to be? Right? Because we have this Roman hood ornament ruling over us. So that's one. That's the first thing. So question, where is our, who is our true king? And where is he? And is God answering? See all these questions? Next, who does um, Luke mention next in the story of Jesus? How does God finally break his silence? It's through someone who is righteous in God's sight, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, recall what I mentioned earlier as I was setting the stage for all of us. It comes no surprise then, right, that we see Zechariah doing all the commandments, doing all the decrees, right, following them blamelessly. It comes no surprise anymore, is it? That Zechariah is doing his thing. He's doing what he's, uh, he, he needs to do for what he believes in. This will enable him or enable Israel to experience God's presence again. So Zechariah is an example of that. Luke, in one small sentence, set the stage for all of us of what world we're talking about, of what kind of world we're looking at here. All right? It's a bunch. It's, some people are very pious in trying to get God's presence, in trying to experience God's presence again, to see if God comes back so that they can hear God again through rituals and religious acts. However, he also puts out a little irony here. If he was so righteous in God's sight, how come God is not talking? And if he's so good, righteous in God's sight, how come his wife is old and still doesn't have a kid? Think about it, right? You see this? So that he has this, uh, there's this dilemma, right? This little irony that uh, Luke has now threw in without, and if you're not conscious enough, we might miss it. It's this irony going, wait a minute, if he's so righteous, why is God still silent? And why is his wife not pregnant? And now he's, she's so old, they're childless. Is God still here? Is God speaking? That's the question again. Luke is brilliant. He's again in going, kind of throwing it in again and, and, and just tugging our heart going, do you not realize the irony of it all, right? But then, again, through his brilliance, Luke, he puts, puts a little tidbit of reference here too. So is God silent? Is God not speaking? Is God not present? What does he say? Both Zechariah and Elizabeth, old in age, righteous in God's sight, without child. Now, for those of you who are quite Bible literate, where else have you seen this in the Old Testament? Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Rachel, 
Remember Rachel was not having a kid for a while? Samson's parents? Samuel's parents. You noticed? And what usually happens after that? Big things happen after that, right? Ginormous things. Things of God-like proportions. And so Luke goes and tells us this one tidbit of, of a hint. He actually answers that question. Oh, God is talking. God is speaking. He's been speaking all the time. It's just that it might not, he might not be speaking the way that we expect him to speak. Because just like Abraham and Sarah, just like Jacob and Rachel, just like Samson and Samuel, Luke drops this huge hint that maybe God is speaking. Maybe God is present all the time. It's just that we may not be aware of it. We may, it may not be within our box of expectations. See what I'm getting at? Let's move on. Luke chapter 8, verse 12. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Some of us have eagerly waited for God to speak for a long time, and we are taught to do stuff that are similar to what Zechariah and the worshipers were doing, right? You know, we uh, have a prayer request, and then we uh, pray over this, and, but then God seems like he's been silent and he's not answering it. And so what do we do? What do we get advised of doing? We continue to do Sunday services, attend Bible studies maybe, uh, cell groups, prayer meetings, stuff to do, right? Just do stuff, do more. We also try our best to keep ourselves morally right now, right? We want to clean up our act maybe, you know, drink less, party less, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe cut our fat content, you know, stuff like that, right? Like, uh, you know, we try to be more pleasing to God, right? Uh, do more stuff. But then, as we continue to do that, something happens. It's no longer expecting God to speak now. It's almost like it becomes a little legalistic now. It means that it almost becomes like not more of seeking God's presence, but more like keeping my salvation intact, right? It's more like trying to prevent us from going to hell rather than seeking God's presence. You follow? It's like the more we do stuff, it's like we kind of lose track of why were we praying in the first place. And yet, and it becomes more like, okay, hopefully no, nothing bad happens to me anymore. Right? No more requesting and putting our faith in God and putting our request before God. It's more like, hopefully, like if I do enough, nothing bad will happen to me. You follow? It turns. It does that slight twist. And then because we just don't want to have this phrase, we don't want God to say, oh, that one's unforgivable, buddy. I'm not going to talk to you ever, ever again, type of thing. So we become very, very, a uh, little bit like, almost karma-like. Where, let me do more stuff. Let me attend church now because, you know, my, my self-esteem is low. I just got, you know, I just got that, you know, bad things happened to me just now. Things are just like going, now, okay, you know what? God, where are you? He's not answering. Maybe I just got to like, do more good stuff, attend more services, pray more and things like that. And then we just start to lose track. And along the way, we go, oh, got to do stuff so that nothing bad happens to me, Right? It's, it's really odd that way. And in Zechariah, unfortunately, as we get soon to read, he had the same mentality. 
he ended up as I said, praying and ended up doing all this stuff just to prevent himself from having any harm done on him. It's, like, it's almost like a get salvation management type of thing, right? Trying to just not <laughs> prevent anything bad happen to him, any further things bad happen to him. But then, when the angel comes, appears, and speaks, he's gripped with fear. How about us? You know, like we, time and time again, we come to worship service. Time and time again, uh, we uh, do our Bible studies and, and prayer meeting stuff. What happens if suddenly an angel appears right here? Do, are we going to freak out just like Zechariah? Oh, yeah. I know I would. <laughs> right? Like, right here. Right? Why? Because all the thoughts are now running in my mind again. I bet yours is too. This is God now, speaking. Uh-oh. You know, you're like everything just comes. Suddenly things get authenticated again. You start to wonder, am I really, am I the real deal? <laughs> right? Like, am I being true to myself again? See, that's why Zechariah was gripped in fear, I think. Because, you know, he was doing the drill. Things were going well. Right? Sure, he's praying for such and such, right? But then suddenly, the angel appears. Uh-oh, grip with fear. Let's move on. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. <clears throat> the angel said to him, I am Gabriel for Pete's sake. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, you moron. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had been seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. How do you make signs of angels? You know, you're trying to... Yeah, I saw... I saw... <laughs> this. Anyway, besides the point, the angel goes and says to Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. When, when if an angel said to you, your prayer has been answered, what is your first question that comes out of your mouth? Which one? <laughs> right? Think about it. <laughs> right? Like, prayers being answered. Which one? <laughs> right? Like, because it's a singular one, right? Like, uh, if you look at it, your prayer, your prayers, your, yeah, your prayer has been answered. And you would go, which one? Right? Because if you think about it, think about it this way. What came out of Zechariah's mouth after this? How can this be done? How can this be true? I'm old, she's old. So the first prayer that Zechariah thought was what? Child. He's still praying for a child. Yet the most important stuff is about he will prepare a way for the Lord. He'll be your joy and delight. He'll be the nations. He'll bring the nations back to God. Da-da-da-da-da, right? He ignored that part. <laughs> right? 
All he heard about was child, <laughs> right? All he heard was child. Why would he only think about child? It's because he, only, he was been praying only for that. Sure, he's praying for, oh, may the spirit come to this world. May, this, you know, may the, uh, God, you come, your presence come down and you know, turn the, the hearts of many. That's mere formality. But really deep down in his heart, what was he really looking for? Child, his own child. He wants a child. And then when the angel comes out and gives this glorious news about the coming of the Lord, that, that, that this child will bring, like, like prepare the way. What was he thinking about? I'm freaking old, man. How can I possibly have a child? See, his first reaction was child. He didn't think about, you know, the turning of the nations, God's presence coming back. Deep down, he really wanted was a child. How about us? You know the times that we do offer our prayer requests to God and things like that? Do we just keep God in a box and dictate how he should answer our prayers? Because sometimes I wonder, is that the reason why we may not hear God is because we want God to answer our way, in our own time, in our own way. Sure, like, a, yeah, the salvation part, but you know what, I, for Zechariah, he would think that it's going to be one military warrior coming down from heaven and just wipe out all of Rome, right? That's what he would think. Not a child, right? But then he also thought of the child. He wants a child to be born, right? And like, uh, and like, how? Don't know, but he wanted it when he was young, and now he's yearning and he's just loathing and regretting and then probably through regret and uh, probably through like wondering, like, uh, am I going to be childless all the time? That type of thing, right? So are we like that? Do we, for, do we put God in a box and just say, Lord, I bring you my prayer request. Answer the way that I want you to answer it. But then God says and baffles him, saying, no, this child is actually going to connect with the other prayer request that you had. And that is to prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming. But Zechariah didn't get it. And we cannot blame Zechariah for that. Because I think many times for myself, I tend to dictate what God should do and should not do. I tend to dictate, no, God, I want this prayer request answered my way. And in a, without, even sub, without even consciously saying that, I already laid out a timeline, a way that God should answer this. right? And, so, and I wonder if, Zechra, if the reason the angel made him silent was just to make him to shut up. Like, stop praying. Stop talking. Just watch. Watch and listen and, and see what's going to happen in front of your eyes. You know, and sometimes we pray so much that we actually convince ourselves that that's the way that it should be. You know, it's natural, right? We people are like that. We often repeat stuff, and the more we repeat it, it becomes true. We, are, we believe it. Well, Zechariah believed that this is the way it is. This is how God should be answering it. But now the angel, the angel goes, shut up. <laughs> Just be quiet. Right? Be still and listen. Okay, let's move on. Luke chapter 20, uh, 1, verse 20 to 25. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. 
The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So Elizabeth became pregnant. Wonderful news, right? Like baffling and totally unexpected, right? And he is supposed to be the name John, and now we have this, uh, uh, if you read this and do your study on this chapter, you have this uh, uh, beautiful dialogue. So what are some takeaways then? We're now to finish this chapter. What are some takeaways then? Well, the first thing, I, after the dwelling on this passage, it reminded me of the time when you used to listen to hockey games on radio. You know, when it used to be on CKNW 98. I don't know if, you're, if you know what I mean. And so I was thinking, okay, maybe, just maybe, it's similar to that analogy. Because here's what I mean. I believe that God always speaks. He's never silent. But it's more about how in tune we are with him. Get it, in tune? All right, here's what I mean. I was listening to this hockey game, the Canucks versus the Kings. It was a Stanley Cup playoffs, right? Way back when the Canucks were legitimate, <laughs> right? And then, um, and then, you know, it's on the 980, it's a, in the AM radio, it was upstairs in my, in my parents' room, uh, parents' uh, house, and it was very staticky. So then I had to like, tune it, right, into the right wavelength, you know, just to try to get the right set frequency. So then um, I realized that uh, kind of like this, you know when we're at Sunday service, we're singing songs, and we're doing Bible studies, and uh, we're praying and everything. I wonder if we come in to try to get in tune again, or are we coming in for a different purpose? I want to encourage all of us that whenever we come into worship service, we are trying to get in tune with the Holy Spirit, get in tune with God. And here's what I mean. There's a, there's a phrase that I learned. It's called the grammar of God, the language of God, right? Here in this service, here in this Sunday service, here and in your Bible studies, in the, and in your personal devotions, you are learning the language of God. Do you know that? Do you know that your, in, your whole intent is actually to learn the language of God, how God speaks, how God reveals himself? Because as we continue to understand his language, we become in tune. We have the right wavelength. We're, we're in line with his wavelength so that we can hear God and listen to God and see what God is doing. Because I, again, I believe that God speaks all the time. He's never silent. It's just a matter of whether we're on the right wavelength, whether we're right in tune with him. Also, you remember, uh, one thing that stuck out in this passage for me was how the angel struck Zechariah in silence. And I already alluded to it. Maybe he, we're, we sometimes talk too much. Right? But there's also other noises. I still remember when I'm listening to the radio and trying to get the game uh, uh, you know, reception. You know, if I'm not in the right dial or in, the, in tune, I get other stuff, like ads from other channels, right? other stations. I get like, commentaries. I hear other people talking. I hear like, uh, the Chinese radio sometimes, right? and it just manipulates and it doesn't manipulate on my hockey game. How dare you, Chinese radio? Right? <laughs> you know, it's like, and it just gets noisy right? and muddled. I can't hear the hockey game. I wonder if we too have way too much noise in our lives. When we come in, do you have something else that you're thinking about right now? When you're sitting down, you're probably thinking about the hockey game, <laughs> All right? But do you have other things in your mind? When you go into scripture, do you have other things in your mind right, uh, as you're reading? 
When you're in your cell groups, do you have other things in your mind and you're just completely not, you know, focused and getting in tune with God? The reason why the angels, uh, I believe, I think, struck Zechariah silent is because he's actually telling you, telling uh, uh, Zechariah, listen and see. How many times have we been silent and just went out and looked and see what God is doing? God is always speaking. It may not be the way we want him to speak, but he always speaks. He may be speaking vocally, but he may be speaking through nature, through the various avenues that he has created, through creation. Zechariah was struck numb because the angel thought, you're just talking way too much. You need to go out there and just listen and watch and watch how this will transpire. And boy, did Zechariah see what transpired, right? Like John leaping in his wife's womb, like literally leaping. Right? Have you seen that? <laughs> right? and, and then uh, and then Mary and Elizabeth, like, and this whole thing is transpiring in front of his eyes. It's baffling. So, but in order for him to see that, he needed to be silent. Next, I started, and then I also remember one time I took my dad's radio, and, I, and I'm like, I'm not getting the reception. So I'm moving around and around the house. And at one time, I was in the backyard. All right? I was so desperate trying to get the game. I was like going, oh, where am I going to get the reception? I, the reason why I'm using that as an example is sometimes I think we need to change the scenery, change the perspective. Uh, my my theology, uh, New Testament theology professor, Rick Watts, always told me, because uh, I needed his uh, guidance in reading the Bible and stuff, because I'm not just not getting it. He goes, Jonathan, sometimes you need to take 10 yards back and 10 yards to the left. It's <laughs> right? like to look at it in a different way. And I'm wondering, if uh, we, do, we need that too, just like we're moving our radio around. We need to have a different perspective. Why is God not answering the way we want an answer? Or maybe even a different perspective on our prayer request. Why are we really asking that? Is there a deeper reason why we ask that? Is there a deeper need, desire in our soul for that request that comes out? Because maybe these prayer requests are a manifestation of what's really deeply wounded in our soul. And it's a change of perspective. It's a moving around, a change of a mindset. And that's what, but that can only happen if we're silent, if we watch and listen. And lastly, faith, a faithful prayer, a prayer of faith. Because in this story, later on, we hit Mary, the story of Mary. And, I, and you notice I didn't talk about her. But one thing I wanted to highlight with her is the difference between her response and Zechariah's response when they both met Gabriel. All right? So let's go in. This is how we're going to conclude. In Luke chapter 1, verse 18, 34, 37 to 38. Follow me along. I put it on the screen. So here's Zechariah's response to the angel. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife has well long years. How can I be sure of this? On other translations, it says, how can this be possibly true? Okay, that's what he said. Now, move on to Mary's response. Verse 34, how will this be? Mary asked the angel. In other words, how will this turn out? How will this become be, since I am a virgin? There's a slight difference here. Zechariah's response is a total write-off, right? He doesn't even believe that this will happen, right? He goes, I'm an old guy. This is not going to happen. How can this be possibly true? Yet Mary goes, how can this be? How will this turn out? She knows it's true, 
She just has no idea how it's going to turn out. See it? One has faith that God will always fulfill his words. The other one, Zechariah, he doubted. Do we pray in faith? Do we pray that, okay, yes, we lay out our request at the foot of the cross in front of Jesus. Do we believe that no matter what will happen, God will answer and his response will always be the purpose of drawing us close to him. It may not be the answer that we want, but ultimately the one thing that's the most important thing is to draw us closer to him. Do we believe that? Because Mary says, I don't know how this will transpire. I don't know how this will come out, but I know for sure it will happen. This will be. May your word be fulfilled, she said. Because the angel says, for no word from God will ever fail. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God's word will never fail? That he will answer our prayers. He does speak all the time and he will engage with your life for the purpose of drawing you close to him. He will never fail in that. Do we believe in that? Do we have faith in that? Faithful prayer. The difference is so slight, it's so important. Zechariah doubted what Gabriel had said, that would, can't even be possible, but Mary responded with faith. Mary responded saying, I know what will happen, I may not know how it will turn out, it doesn't matter. It may be for my good, it may be for my not good, right? It may be a sword piercing my heart, which happened, right? Which was uh, prophesied by, um, <laughs> somebody help me, in chapter two, right? The, it would be a sword piercing her heart. She will be hurt. She would have anxiety. She would be depressed. She would experience loss because her son will be crucified. That ain't good, right? But she don't know how this will all turn out. Right? But she believes that all of this is for God's purpose to draw his people to himself. So let's conclude. Where are you at today? Have you been praying for something? Are you starting to lose hope in something? That something is not transpiring the way you want it to? Are you expecting something that God, if God can provide? May I offer you something, some principles now. Tune into God's voice. Every time you come in to worship, your cell group, or you're doing your devotions, remember this, your intention to go into God's words to learn his language, to learn his grammar, to learn how he speaks. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come to you so that you can understand his language. Stay silent, open your eyes, open your ears, and listen and watch. Be in tune, and most importantly, believe that God will never fail. Believe that God's word will never fail. Let's pray.